Well, first of all, um, I, I dispute the call, as I'm sure you would, that Harry Potter isn't well written. Hello, and welcome back to Hashtag Selfie, a podcast about hardworking, passionate and stereotype shattering young people who are selflessly making a difference in their community. I'm your host, Lizzie Richardson, and on the show today is Amy Lester from Australia. Amy is a new English and social studies teacher and is also a very good friend of mine. I've known Amy for four years and she continues to surprise me with the great things that she says and does. Now this episode was recorded face to face rather than over the phone and for once we were both in the same time zone so it may sound a little bit different but it's still a really really interesting episode. So enjoy! Hashtag Selfie is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word and audiobooks. They have over 180,000 audiobooks and offer a 30-day free trial and with that you get a free audiobook that you can download and keep forever. Now Audible likes me to recommend a book that you lovely listeners may enjoy and I asked Amy what she would recommend and she suggested A Little Life by Hanika Yanagara narrated by Oliver Wyman. She said it was the best book she had read all year. So if it has the tick of approval from an English teacher, then you know it must be good. You can get A Little Life or any other audiobook for free. Yes, it is free and we all like free st- things when you go to www.audibletrial.com self. Also, please remember that I'm going to donate all profits from hashtag selfie to firstly the Kivio Foundation, which works to pull families out of poverty, and then to Parkinson's Australia. So when you go to www.audibletrial.com selfie, not only do you get a free book, but these two great organisations get some much needed support. So hi, Amy, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Lizzie? I'm well, thank you. That's good. So thanks for being on the show today. Oh, you're very welcome. It's lovely to be here. So I wanted to talk to you about education because you are becoming an English teacher. That's correct. Um, and I know I've known you for a while and I know that you're very passionate about education and English. Um, so I just wanted to learn a bit more about that and why you chose to go into education at such a young age. Um, and what you really want to achieve out of this career. So do you just want to start off by telling us about like your past, your uni work, um, background, things like that? Absolutely. So I finished my HSC in 2009. Um, By that stage, I toyed with about 100 different ideas of what I wanted to do for a career, you know, diplomacy, law, Mm. languages. I knew that I was interested in language and Mm. communication, and I knew that I loved public speaking and debating, but there were a thousand and one things that I could have done with that and I really wasn't sure what to settle on. Mm. So at first I went into journalism, doing a journalism degree at UTS. Lasted about six months before I changed into advertising, which Mm -hmm. was same course but a different major. Absolutely loved it. I loved, um, what I loved about it was that I got to think critically about the world. I got to be creative. Mm. But what I think I loved most was the idea of, of pitching and standing up in front of a group of people and persuading them of something Mm. and I guess invigorating and inspiring the people in that room to to take action or something whether it's you know buy toothpaste or to save the world so that was what I think I loved most about it uh so after that um from about 2013 I worked in advertising for two years 
But at the same time that I was doing that, I was coaching the senior debating team at a boys' school and it was honestly the highlight of my week. I'd, you know, have a hard day at my job, but I would just so look forward to Friday 3.30 when Mm. I could go along to that school, coach the boys, see them do well. And that was, it was really what I was living for at that point. And I came to a point when I realized that all the things I loved about advertising were there for me in teaching and so much more. And I could be using those skills I have to make a real difference in people's lives. So just a bit about your teaching background. So what subjects are you teaching or are you qualified to teach at the moment? I am teaching English at the moment. I'm about to start my first full-time secondary English job in, oh my Lord, I think it's about a week now. <laughs> Ooh, be interesting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'll be teaching years seven to 10 mixed ability classes. Mm. Um, and I'm also qualified to teach a subject called society and culture, which very few people have heard of, but it's essentially um, kind of anthropology, social science, um, thinking about the world that we live in and human interaction, which is also really fascinating. So mm. if only one, if only, you know, anyone actually offered that subject. <laughs> yeah. okay. Any particular reason you're teaching those two? Um, I suppose the main reason that I want to teach English is I am a big believer in the power of language and the power of communication. I think particularly in the context that we're in at the moment, it's so important that people understand the impact of their words and that it is really important mm. that we that we think about what we say and how we how we wield that power that we have with language especially when you have so many people these days pushing for complete unbridled freedom of speech mm. over things like people's safety and well-being it's mm. it's funny to me that the same people who seem to be really pushing for freedom of speech seem to not quite understand the power of their words and seem to be the ones who say things like oh you know don't be so sensitive it was only a joke yeah. hashtag triggered lol yeah. so i think that i think speech and language like all things in the world is a resource i think it's a commodity and especially for the students I teach because I teach at an an independent boys school and the students mostly come from fairly privileged and fairly affluent backgrounds. I really want those students to understand the power that they have to communicate and to influence and to be able to harness that power for the betterment of society. Um, The other reason that I am really enjoying what I do so far is that it forces me to really intellectually challenge myself Mm. as well. I did a prac placement recently um, at a high school where for a month I was teaching society and culture and I had to become an expert on Judaism, which I knew absolutely nothing about before I started. Um, But I knew a lot about it by the time that I finished. And I love that it is not only my responsibility as a a person in this world, but it is also my job and my employment to educate myself as well as educating others. I love that it's my job to get up every day and read a book and be up to date on Mm. current affairs. And I think my job helps me force myself to ultimately become a better and a more well-rounded person. Yeah, cool. So another thing that I really like to explore in this podcast is talking to people who have just begun that career or just um, or aren't even starting that career, they're still at university, about how what they think the biggest challenge will be in their career in the future. So to that point, I want to ask you, what do you think is the most like significant problem that the education system in New South Wales is currently facing? Somebody who is about to go into the education system in New South Wales versus somebody who's like been in their system for like 20 years? There are a couple of problems that I can see going in. Um, They are related in a way. The first one 
that we are constantly wrestling with as educators is measurement and how we can track and how we can truly quantify student achievement but also student well-being i think a lot of the focus on measurement and things like PISA and NAPLAN is really causing us to lose a bit of sight of our purpose and what is really important Mm. in our role as educators, which is helping every child to achieve their full potential. Um, I think things like NAPLAN have a really positive aim in that they want to improve really crucial literacy and numeracy skills, Mm. but at the same time, it does result in really relentless skill building and drilling in the classroom. Um, which as well, like particularly falls unfairly on English and maths teachers when Mm. really literacy and numeracy should be something that children are building in not only every area of the curriculum, but in every area Mm. of, of life as well. So I think we begin to miss out in that regard on things like critical thinking and creative skills, because you can't measure those things numerically. Um, but also we miss out on being able to focus on student well-being and student mm. happiness because, again, it's not something you can put a number on. Yeah, um, It's something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I recently did a summer course at uni on gifted education. And when we place a focus on things like NAPLAN and getting students to miss a base, to, to all meet the same baseline, we forget about students who've already well passed that baseline yeah. and have so much further to go and so much more they can do mm. with their ability and with their potential. So those kids, when we leave them behind because we think they're already there, they're the ones who become bored and disengaged and frustrated that they're not being pushed to do as well mm. as they can. In terms of how I would fix that, that's that's huge and that's a problem yeah. that is a lot yeah. bigger than little old me. And I'm sure that in time the kind of external pressure from things like NAPLAN will get to me and it will take over my practice and what I do in the classroom. Um, In terms of what I think we need to do in a more macro sense, I think we need to move towards means of measuring student achievement that aren't numerical. Mm. When we look at things like the PISA results, which told us recently that Australia was falling behind in key areas like maths and science and literacy and numeracy, um, we don't see whether or not kids in our system and other systems are happy and whether they're achieving to their potential. Mm. And even, you know, if they have critical life skills like resilience in failure and the the growth mindset, because you just can't put numbers on those things. So we need to look at ways to look at those more qualitative measures of, of student achievement and student wellbeing. The second thing that I think is a really massive issue facing education is this rhetoric that the only path you should take after high school is uni. Um, Mm. I've seen so many of my own friends going into degrees that they're not sure they want to study and racking up massive amounts of student debt and experiencing anxiety and ultimately failure because uni wasn't something that was right for them. I suppose particularly for me and my friends, I went to a selective high school and things like, you know, topping the ranking tables was always really important and things like this is how many of our students went on to university. So I think there became a lot of external pressure Mm. in um, telling us that uni was the only and the best thing for us to do after high school. And the funny and the ironic thing about that is a lot of the time, the jobs that demand a uni degree, you don't even really need a uni qualification to be able to do them. Um, I can honestly say that the communications degree I did at at UTS, um, nothing I did in that degree was applicable once I actually went into a media buying job. Um, So I guess the way that I would want to change that would be number one for employers to stop asking for an for a uni degree and stop asking for something like a communications degree unless your job requires 
your new graduate to yeah. understand like Derrida's sign theory. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, I really think I would have been better equipped for the job I went into had I gone into a super entry-level role yeah. in that industry and in that company when I was 18 and just spent four years learning the ropes and learning how to use the software that I was required mm. to use. Um, and as, as well to schools and parents, um, allow your children and your students to explore other options, mm. you know, to take a gap year or to, to learn a trade, go straight into the workforce. There is so much that we can do to carve our own path when we leave high school and so many ways to lead a happy and fulfilling life that don't involve thousands and thousands of dollars yeah. in student debt. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So going back to your first point about what would you change the education system and, you know, the focus on assessments and ranking and things like that. I know that like teachers are obviously very constrained by the syllabus. So within like an individual school, would majority of that change that you wanted or were talking about, would that come from like the principal or what can teachers do in the classroom given that constraints? Yeah, it's a huge question in terms of the fact that there is always going to be a degree of of top-down pressure. Mm. You're always going to have so many stakeholders in the form of your things like NAPLAN, in the form of principals and the executive, in the form of parents as well and families who expect um, a cert- who expect certain things out of the education that um, you know that why they've sent that child to that particular school who you know have mm. a particular conception of that school and what it's good at and what it's going to do for their child. So it can be extremely precious for teachers in managing those um managing those different stakeholders Mm. and um kind of kind of coming to classroom-based solutions that make everybody happy but still achieve well-being for Mm. their students um it's it's a massive question um and i guess as a new educator i need to be confident in saying that I don't know the answer to that and I don't have the answers to to questions like that. (laughs) So it's going to be a very interesting couple of years seeing how I I balance those things. So going back to English, so if you could make any text compulsory for everybody to study, what would that be? And also if you could remove any text from the curriculum, do you have a particular text in mind that you'd like to remove? That's a much easier question. (laughs) (laughs) I think that we desperately need more texts by women and people of color. And we need to do that in a way that isn't tokenistic. You look Mm. at the Australian curriculum and there's a huge focus on diversity and, you know, cultural pluralism and intercultural understanding and let's get kids looking at texts from aboriginal and torres strait islander authors Mm. and asian authors but at the same time that tends to manifest in a way that's really tacked on and you end up with units of work with names like asian voices or women's perspectives Mm. and the problem with doing something like that is it reinforces that the rest of the time we're learning regular perspectives or we're learning our perspectives um, and that, you know, we're the, and it reinforces an idea that the norm is the text by the dead white males. Yeah. Um, the great thing about that is it's actually, compared to all these other problems of measurement and the discourse around uni, that's actually a really easy fix for teachers. Yeah. That is something that teachers can very easily do in the classroom. And that's a problem we can really have a lot of control over addressing. The, the work is out there. The texts are out there. We just have to put the legwork in in terms of finding them. Mm. And the great thing is in Year 7 to 10, we do actually have a lot of autonomy over text selection. We yeah. have to do like a certain number of novels and films and poems, but in terms of 
who they're the from. specifics, yeah. Yeah, there's the only prescription is that we need to do Shakespeare. But apart from that, it's just about um, teachers and faculties making the effort to include those voices in the curriculum in a really seamless way. Mm. So it's as simple as the next time you're teaching poetic techniques, instead of reaching for Wordsworth, look for something by Maya Angelou or mm. the next time you're doing short stories, have something by Kima Mandaradici. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just about not relying on this is the text we've always done for this unit or deferring to old habits. Yeah, and um, also just kind of t- treating all the texts as equal, not being like now we're going to study an Asian text in exactly. this specific Asian topic. It's just like treating it as Shakespeare and as anything else you would just mix it up as normal without drawing attention to the fact that it is a text by someone of colour or who is female. That's exactly right. It's about having visibility for those texts but without treating it as something that's remarkably different because yeah. or like we own not. <laughs> yeah, like we're only teaching this text because it's on the curriculum and we have to have a Correct. text by a female or something like that. Correct, exactly. It was really interesting. I was um at a school last year and we did a unit Um, in stage five called Global Voices. And the first thing the teacher I was observing got up and did was to problematize that idea of a global voice. And it was like, well, hang on, like, is, are these other people global voices and are we just us? Mm. Like, do we not approach this topic with our own cultural norms and values that we need to dissect and interrogate? Mm. And I just thought it was a fantastic way of doing what could have been a very tokenistic unit of work if if delivered um, just by the book and without yeah. much thought. Um, and it's, it's, it's such an easy fix when you actually sit down and think about it. It's, it's the exact same lesson teaching Maya Angelou instead of words, Wordsworth, but it just um, conveys in a really subtle way that these voices are valuable and they have, they have a place um, mm. am, amongst the voices yeah. that we're so used to hearing. I think for me as well, coming from a, a teaching background where, you know, my school is all boys, 75% are from, you know, an Anglo-Saxon wealthy background. They would never hear these voices otherwise. Mm. And I have a responsibility as a teacher to broaden their worldview. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So would you have any text that you would remove from the syllabus or is that just more general, like getting rid of more of the exactly. same, would, same old, same old? Exactly. So really, really the same. Um, it would be a matter of substituting more than adding and removing mm-hmm. um and that's it's that's the way it's got to be if it's not going to be tokenistic you can't tack these things on it's about it's about substitution yeah. and about putting them into the existing curriculum so a big thing that kids at school can often complain of this happened a lot at my school particularly if they don't like the subject is you know when am i ever going to need shakespeare when am i ever going to need poetic techniques in life um so why should kids and students study texts and i mean like text more than just like essay writing or literacy and grammar when you know they may forget what Shakespeare was about right after the exam for sure absolutely there's there's a couple of ways of looking at that um first of all as you've kind of mentioned there in in hinting on things like essay writing it isn't just about the text it's about building a skill set so that's things like the ability to think critically to you know convey ideas in a really lucid and logical Mm -hmm. and engaging manner um But as well, when we do English write, we do put a lot of thought into the texts that Mm. we choose and we hope that they won't forget the text. So it's not just about remembering the quotes. It's about hoping that the students will remember how that text broadened their worldview and how that text had an impact on on how they perceive the world. So 
again, for many students, the first opportunity they have to engage with texts from people who lead very different lives to them is through the English syllabus. So it's our responsibility to make sure that we select texts that are radically outside the worldview of students a lot of the time. Um, I had a student last year, actually, who was writing a feature article on um, women and women's rights, and she was looking at texts about um, the suffragettes um, and also texts like The Colour Purple, um, fantastic book Mm. if you get a chance to read it. Um, And she needed to write about how it related to her own experience and her own challenges as Mm. a woman. And she said to me, well, look, I don't think I've actually had any experiences as a woman that have challenged me. I don't think I've ever been challenged by my gender and I said to her well write about that write about how radically different your experience as a woman is to these other women who've Mm. lived in in different times and different contexts um so at the end of the day we hope that students will come away with that eye-opening moment of, of getting to see a different perspective so do you think that including popular texts like you know your Star Wars your Harry Potter Hunger Games sort of those sort of texts Uh, be it books or films into the syllabus would that be beneficial or do you think we should stick away from more of the popular texts and kind of stick with more of the classical well-written more well-rounded texts that like may doesn't include those well first of all um i I dispute the call as i'm sure you would that harry potter isn't well written yes harry potter is (laughs) excellent big Harry Potter buff, so I certainly wouldn't want to poke the sleeping yeah. dragon in the eye by saying it wasn't. Um, <laughs> good, good. good. There's, there's a bigger question at play here, though, and yeah. that is what is the purpose of education? Mm. Why do we have these children coming to school and sitting in front of us? What do we want them to take away? Um, and there's a lot of different ways to look at it, and there's a lot of um, competing but also in some ways harmonious ideas mm. on what education is and should be. So if we say that the purpose of education is for students to love coming to school, to feel like the system understands them and also for them to engage meaningly with their personal world, then yes, absolutely. Using things like Star Wars and The Hunger Games is a fantastic gateway Mm. into allowing students to understand the relevance of what they're learning in in English. Um, A good example of that is last year I did a lesson for a year seven class on film techniques Mm. and instead of using you know a great classic film like you know your Fargo or whatever I went for Star Wars because a it uses a lot of fantastic film techniques and b it facilitated some really meaningful and really pithy conversations with those students around well why like how do we know that Darth Vader is the bad guy yeah why is it that we empathize with Luke and why is it Mm. that we want to see Luke succeed and that's not a conversation that would have been meaningful or interesting to those students in any way if they weren't familiar with the text and if they didn't know that Darth Vader was the baddie and if they hadn't had the experience of feeling you know afraid of him when watching the film so that kind of strategy makes for really impactful lessons when you want students Mm. to understand the relevance of the skills that that they're learning. But at the same time, obviously, we do have a responsibility to impart knowledge that is culturally important. And that's where the value of something like Shakespeare comes in, in terms of his sheer impact on the English language and the idioms that we use and and words that have so naturally become incorporated into our own vernacular. Um, and again, you have this responsibility to broaden the horizons of students, to make them read more widely and to hear voices that they aren't going to hear in their personal world. So at the end of the day, it's about balancing those responsibilities, knowing your students and what your students need and how they learn and determining which path to go down is going to be right for this lesson in this topic and make Mm. it resonate the best. So 
when you're choosing a text, um, you've got to ask yourself why you're using this particular text. And there's so many right answers to that question that it's probably easier to look at what the wrong answers are. And the wrong answer is something like, we've always used this text for yeah. this topic. There's lots of resources on it. Everyone else teaches it. It was the first poem on Google. So what it is ultimately about is making conscious decisions around text selection and knowing your own intent mm. and the effect of choosing that text. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, and obviously um, text selection is a lot is a much harder job than I ever expected. I always thought they picked up them quite easily or just used whatever they've been using, but I, obviously a lot of work and effort goes into the text selection. I think even now that's growing a lot more with sure. the focus on uh, people of colour and women. Absolutely. It's, it's as easy or as difficult as you want it to be yeah. really it can be easy in that a lot of schools will have a booklet for topics and will have a set number of poems that they rotate through or like oh you know we taught this last year with this poem and you can if you want to as a teacher lean on that stuff or you can say no you know what this is a really good opportunity to bring something new into the room or this is a really good opportunity to use a really popular movie that's just come out that all the kids are going to have seen and know about and be mm. able to engage with yeah. so you can set goals and challenges for yourself with mm. with text selection if you want to yeah um i suppose as well it is worth mentioning though that it's very easy as a starry-eyed graduate for me to say these things and I am very conscious of the fact that teachers are incredibly stretched for time and that we don't always have the time to sit down and find those resources. But I think if you can find the time, then it's such a meaningful and worthwhile thing to do and I really think it does make itself visible in in the way that students engage with English mm. down the track in long term. Um, so I had three more questions that I thought of yeah. while we are talking. Yeah, go for it. I think I remember them. <laughs> so the first one is... So in a week, you're starting your first job. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that you can bring to the table as a new graduate that perhaps an older teacher or somebody who's been in the profession for longer can't? That's funny. It's starting to feel like my interview for the job. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you the answer that I you gave You already got the job. <laughs> yeah. Well, the answer that I gave was um, as new graduates, we are a lot less set in our ways. Mm. We are a lot more open to learning new things about the profession and new strategies to try obviously that's not true of all old teachers that they're not willing to learn those things there are some fantastic teachers out there who have been doing what they do for a really long time and are learning all the time and I think that's the most wonderful mm. thing in the world but not having my own way of doing things yet means I am so ready and willing to learn about what's going to work for the particular mm. room that I walk into mm. next Tuesday um as well, there's been a massive boom in educational research in the last sort of 20 or 30 years mm. in terms of how to set up a classroom, how to manage that room, how to engage with students and the kinds of relationships that we can facilitate with students to better engage them in the room. Um, the nature of the classroom is changing every day mm. and having just come out of uni and seen what people are doing now in the world of education, I think is hugely advantageous mm. to me. Um, and finally, ICT is becoming a massive yes. opportunity, but also a challenge for teachers. There are so many new pieces of software we can use like Edmodo and Kahoot that enhance what we do, but as well, things like cyber safety pose a lot of challenges to us. Mm. Um, and the degree to which we can manage that and moderate that is um it's very much in flux you've got to be really up to date on what kind of social media kids are using um 
how to mitigate any issues that arise in your classroom or even just in the personal lives of your students um, that, that emerge from ICT. Um, you've really, you've just really got to be in the know with that. And it can be very difficult for teachers who are a number of decades removed from their students because they're not always going to know what those things are. That said, it's being a member of Gen Y isn't a silver bullet to knowing those things. Yeah. The social media that I use is very different to what, um, you know, my younger brother and sister who are 13 are using. They're using things like, you know, Kick and um, – oh, see, I can't even name them. But, yeah. like, suffice to say that kids, Like, where we think we're, we're on the latest social media platform, but yeah, we're, we're really like, not. Yes, I know how to use Facebook and Twitter, and nobody is on there in yeah. the classroom. It's, um, it's a very different world. It's just about um, being open-minded mm. and adaptable to whatever technologies arise and really forcing yourself to stay to stay on top of that. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, another question I had was, so obviously your first year of teaching is going to be insanely busy, yep. but assuming infinite time, is there anything that you would like to do within your school outside of the classroom to, I guess, benefit the children? Like I, you mentioned that you did a lot of debating, you did a lot of debating coaching. Would you also look at perhaps coaching a team? I'm very keen to stay on top of the debating. Um, and I, as far as I know, I will be involved in that debating program this year, which is very exciting. Um, although at the school I'm going to, the debating program is already really robust and really well resourced. Mm. So I'm not quite sure what I can do to have an impact on it. Um, and certainly something I'd want to look at long term is if I were in a school that didn't have such a good debating yeah. program, it's something I'd love to be at the helm at and something I'd love to implement. I just think it is so valuable for the skills that students need both in the classroom and outside of the classroom. So I think that's something that's still really valuable to me and always has been. I would love to introduce society and culture at my <laughs> school. It's something that a lot of schools tend to be resistant towards. Mm. I'm not sure for the reasons for my school particularly, but I know that a lot of independent and Catholic schools are a little averse to it because uh, it doesn't necessarily scale well. And a lot of the key concepts that the subject deals with, they prefer to deal with in the framework of studies of religion yeah um that said certainly the students i've met at my school so far who i've worked with in debating i think would absolutely lap that subject up mm. um i think they would love to be doing things like the personal interest project mm. and finding out about an area of society that fascinates them so mm. having that subject offered more broadly both in my school and across the state is mm. a real long-term goal of mine so mm. i'll certainly see what i can do um, I don't know if that's something that's achievable for me in the first year. Probably, I'm going to yeah. really throw myself into the English, but certainly as I establish myself more, it's, yeah. it's something I'd love to look at. Yeah. Well, see, this is the thing that I think is just amazing about you is that like, you're not, you're one week out from a new job and you're already looking at potentially introducing a subject or making that subject a lot bigger in your school as like a first year um, teacher. And it's so great to see that you're not just going to go into an English classroom and teach English and tick all the boxes in, on the syllabus and then prep them for an HSC exam and walk away and say, like, bye, good luck with your life. But you actually want to get involved in debating and introducing different subjects and really looking for, like, a like a holistic approach to education where you're, like, their teacher, but you're also helping them on the side to other things. I think that's really great, especially for new teachers. Um, especially given how much work <laughs> putting your hand <laughs> Yeah. It was meant to be a non verbal cue dude like i got something to say on that <laughs> okay we can edit all that out but yes you talk i will edit no, it keep it in it's organic they'll love it <laughs> um i think there is something to be said though for just getting really good at what you yeah. do before 
overstretching yourself. And I'm very determined this year to make my number one goal being a really good English teacher. So to an extent, I think this will be a year for me of going by the book. I'm Mm. really lucky in that I'm in in an incredibly supportive faculty that is very well resourced and has provided some very detailed units of work Mm. and um, texts and things that I can do in my classroom. And I think I really do want to see what best practice looks like Mm. before I start trying to go off on my own tangent. So I think this will be a year of really soaking up what's around me learning what's being done and how other people are making a difference and then in time I can carve my own path doing that that was Amy talking about her view of the education system in Australia and the important role that teachers play now normally in this outro I include a call to action to support a particular charity or organization but that isn't really applicable for this case so all I'm going to say is a massive thank you to all of the teachers out there and all the future teachers out there from across the world for absolutely everything that you do. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Selfie. I would really appreciate it if you could please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes as it helps other people find the show. You can also subscribe to my email list and follow me on all the usual social media platforms. All the links will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Selfie and tune in next time as we travel to Jamaica to talk with another Queen's Young Leaders recipient, Abraham.